0: post your free job on linkedin.com/recommend today.
2: Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. My name Dave Hollis. I am uh, still your host of this show and we're in the midst of a series all about holistic health. Thinking about physical health, but uh, also the other portions of health that uh, are just as if not more important in anyone who is interested in transformation. I have someone who knows a thing or two about transformation on the show today. His name is Drew Manning. Drew is a New York Times bestselling author of the book, Fit to Fat to Fit, the unexpected lessons from gaining and losing 75 pounds on purpose. He's a leading voice in keto. He runs an amazing company that has so much in coaching, in resources, in support, in supplements, in all the things. Um, But more than anything, Drew's a friend. And so this is an invitation for you to listen to two humans uh, reaching for a better version of themselves and uh, and all the things that we're learning in the midst of this journey called life. So without further ado, please welcome Drew Manning to the Rise Together podcast. Welcome to Rise Together. My name is Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest, who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together.
3: Drew. Dave Hollis. Thank you so much for having me on. That was the best introduction, man. So you didn't even need a bio. That was great.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing, it's so funny because like the more that I've done the show, the bio seems like it kind of puts someone in a box and there's so much multidimensional flavor to any single person who comes on the show, especially someone like you that I know. It's like, gosh, every time we spend time together, I'm like, oh, no. That is another piece of depth that I just didn't even expect or know. And uh, so I, I don't want to necessarily let a bio ever um, hamstring somebody from really getting to fully express who they are. In your own words, could you just maybe give people a little sense of who you are, why you're here, what kind of uh, calling you feel you might have in this world and the, and the mark you hope to leave?
3: Yeah, so I think you know most people know me. It's so funny, and a lot of people don't know my real name, uh, but they know me as the fit to fat to fit guy. <laughs> so, I think that's pretty funny. But so a little bit of backstory about me: how I got into that. So I grew up in a family of eleven brothers and sisters. You know, I don't know what my parents were thinking, but they had eleven kids. <laughs> I'm number seven, and we all played sports growing up: football and wrestling. I was very active. I grew up in a very you know strict religion. Uh, we've talked about this before. And, you know, for me, being in shape was something that just came very naturally because playing those sports and and playing with my brothers and sisters, I was naturally fit and active. And so my whole life, my body image kind of became my self-image. I was like Drew the fit guy in my mind. And uh, fast forward to 2009, became certified as a personal trainer because I'm like, oh, I'm in shape. I want to help people get in shape. And so I kind of went to the fitness industry. And here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in my life trying to help people who were overweight pretty much every day of their life. Right. And, and there was an obvious disconnect between me and them. I couldn't understand why they couldn't just do what seemed so easy for me. Like it was a struggle for them. And I I really couldn't understand that. Cause I'm like, uh, what's the problem? Like you just do the work. You put, you know, you put the junk food down, you go to the gym. Like, why is it so hard? And I had one of my clients who was my brother-in-law at the time tell me, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like for me or for people like me. Because for you, it's, it's, it's always been easy. And for me and for people like me, it's hard. And um, I kind of took that to her. I was like, you know what? You're right. Um, I was like, I don't understand why it's so hard. And so I, I was thinking of ideas of how I can gain a better understanding. And then boom, this idea of getting fat on purpose, as crazy as it sounds, it kind of made sense in my mind to where it felt like a calling, like I was supposed to do this thing. And so I decided to do Fit to Fat to Fit. And this is back in 2011, so way back in the day. Um, and so the idea in a nutshell was for six months, uh, I would stop exercising completely. I would eat an, an, uh, an unrestricted diet so I could eat whatever I wanted to, <clears throat> put on a bunch of weight, and then lose the weight over the next six months. And then, you know, uh, that, that was the idea in a nutshell in hopes to give me a better understanding of what it was like to be overweight for the first time. And so I embarked on this journey, <laughs> gained 75 pounds. Of pure fat in six months, you can go Google the pictures and, and see them. They're legit. They, some people still think they're photoshopped, but you know, Dr. Oz wouldn't let me on his show if they were photoshopped. Or Jay Leno wouldn't let me on if it was photoshopped. So you could, you know, I was bigger on those TV shows, by the way. So, so that's kind of me in a nutshell, and that's why I did fit to fat to fit. And it was one of the hardest, most humbling things I've ever done, Dave. To this day, but I learned so many valuable lessons from that experience that. Totally transformed my perception of health and fitness and what success means in health and fitness. And I just realized how wrong it was. Like, I had to admit publicly, you guys, I am so sorry. I had this so wrong before until I did this experiment. And so I'm kind of in a way grateful I did it, even though, you know, eating a lot of Twinkies and Cinnamon Toast Crunch isn't healthy for you. But (laughs) it's
2: such an important thing. It's wild. So I've been working in foster care for a long time as a previous foster parent. And I didn't know what foster care was until I was a parent, and even as I've been supporting it in the years since, it's been six or seven years since we were foster parents, writing a check or supporting an organization is actually a lot different than an experience just from this last week where I got to go to a boy's home for kids between nine and 16 years old and spent a couple of days just kind of immersed inside of the environment to in some ways, connect to the reason for doing the work in the first place. And I do think that there's something so rad about this attempt to try and put yourself in the shoes of other people that, of course, gives you, one, I, I do appreciate that it's humbling to realize, oh, wow, it actually either takes a lot of work to you know do what's necessary to get the weight off. But I'm going to assume that there's also something eye-opening in the way that this society approaches someone who's carrying some extra weight, whether it's body shaming or thinking differently. Tell me a little bit about kind of what your experience was kind of at the height of weight and what of what you experienced you expected and what came as a surprise.
3: Yeah, so the biggest surprise of all was how, even though this was a physical transformation journey of gaining 75 pounds and losing 75 pounds, the biggest surprise was how much of it was mental and emotional. So two things happened. One, I mentioned that my body image was my self-image. So I think a lot of people do this in the fitness industry, but also people who are, grow up overweight tend to do this as well, where they think I am my body, my body is me. I am this you know, fit person or I am this fat person. And we label ourselves that way and we create this identity around that. And so for me, being overweight for the first time in my life, I freaked out. Like I, I was not comfortable. I was way out of my comfort zone. I didn't know... How to handle it, especially in public? Because I wanted to go up to strangers and explain to them, like, "Hey, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. It's like, like this isn't what I normally look like." Like, I was so uncomfortable being overweight for the first time, but that that was the first eye-opening experience where I'm like, "Man, I didn't realize how much of my identity was based on my body and how much it bugs me to be overweight." And so that was the first thing of, of realizing that, <clears throat> wow, my whole life, my body image has become my self-image. And I didn't realize that at the time, it wasn't until years later when I started doing the inner work that I, that I realized that, but I knew something was going on. The second thing was, I remember at my heaviest, like around 60 or 70 pounds overweight, my daughter was two at the time. And I remember coming home from work one day and, um, you know, I had a full-time job in the medical field, by the way, uh, on top of doing this fit to fat to fit experience. And I remember coming home, I was exhausted I was hungry. My two-year-old daughter, you know, she didn't care. She wanted to play. She wanted me to chase her around the house. So that's what two-year-olds do. So I remember like, okay, I'll play with you. I'll chase you around the house. And by this time, I was so out of shape. So like chasing a two-year-old around the house was exhausting after like 60 or 90 seconds. And uh, she wanted to play for hours. And so for me, after a couple minutes, I just kind of told her, I was like, hey, daddy needs a break. Let me sit down and, and, and sit on the couch. And I remember her trying to like pull me off the couch saying, daddy, daddy, please, I remember like looking into her eyes, she just started crying. Cause I said, no, dad needs a break. I can't do this right now. And in that moment I realized, you know, even though I was doing this as an experiment, this was on purpose. It wasn't the same as someone who grew up overweight, but in that moment I could empathize so much more of what it must be like for millions of Americans out there that are overweight and can't play with their kids or their grandkids and how much that must hurt them inside as an adult, as a parent, as a mom or dad to say to your kid, I can't play with you because I'm, I'm too out of shape or I'm, and not so much being overweight, just, just being unhealthy. And it broke my heart to see my daughter cry. And I just realized how many millions of other people out there struggle with this and how much it must hurt inside because they want to change. They want to be healthier for their kids, but they can't figure out why they can't do that because They love their kids um, just as much as I love my kids. And um, it made me empathize or step into the shoes of my clients. Of like, oh, my gosh, this transformational journey is way more mental and emotional than I thought. Um, And then one of the experiences came to mind, Dave, and that was when I was at the grocery store. And I was checking out with my shopping cart full of like Twinkies and like cookies and crackers and sodas, right? And I had a big belly at this time. And there was these three women behind me. And I I remember feeling so judged because I could feel like they were looking at my shopping cart full of all this junk food, looking at my belly. And I wanted to turn around and be like, hey, ladies, like, you know, normally I have a six pack. And normally I eat spinach and kale and broccoli and like all the healthy food. And, um, but you know, but I didn't say anything. I just kind of let that judgment sink in. And I realized, oh, this is what my clients have to go through on a daily basis. This is, they get stares, they get looks from other people, whether they're, they're judging them or not, we don't know, but you feel judged. And that was a very eye-opening experience as well. So those were like some three moments that really kind of opened up my eyes that shifted my perception.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: In your book, the New York Times bestselling book, and in so many of the things that you teach, I think one of the things that's beautiful about you is the way that you found a way to talk about the obesity epidemic in the country in a way that very gently threads the needle between compassion and tough love, right? And I'm gonna guess that there's plenty of people who are listening in real time that are working on their fitness and they're trying to push back against some of these stats, but what are some of the things that we might not understand about obesity, or the effects that they have on ourselves, our family, the workplace? That, if we had that knowledge, could be used as something of uh, motivation or something to catalyze action.
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. So here's the thing that I'm trying to get across, and this is I'm trying to be a voice between you know the your super ultra fit like you know fitness influencers and the people that that are turned off by that industry who are overweight and. Um, you know, don't want anything to do with the industry because it it seems so toxic and so self-absorbed. Right. So I'm trying to be a voice between those two. And I, I I am that mix of like, I'm your empathetic guy, you know, who's all about like compassion and self-love and love for other people, but, (laughs) or, and also um, a tough love, like you mentioned, like empathy without boundaries is enabling. And so, you know, you can have empathy for someone, you could have compassion for someone, but every once in a while, we do need a kick in the pants. We do have to believe that we can do hard things. And this is where I'm trying to really disrupt the fitness industry by bringing in, you know, maybe not as extreme as like your David Goggins style, like military type of like, you know, tough love, because I don't think that works for everyone. I think for a small percentage, it does. I'm trying to lead with empathy first, because here's something that I live by. is It's called or it's a quote by Teddy Roosevelt. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And that's really what fit to fit to fit is all about. You could have all the knowledge in the world and all the tricks and hacks and tips of how to transform and and manipulate someone's body composition to get down to 0% body fat. Like that's cool if you have that knowledge. But no one cares about that. No one cares unless they feel cared about, unless they feel heard, unless they feel safe. And that's where empathy comes in. And that's where I feel like we can make a huge difference in this industry by leading with empathy first, first, truly getting curious to understand someone, um, why they are the way they are, instead of saying, hey, you're overweight, you're lazy, you know, just change your habits. That doesn't work. That doesn't really help. That doesn't really feel like that person feels heard or safe. And so the thing with obesity that people don't realize is they think it's a physical thing. Calories in, calories out. Here's your macros. Here's your workouts. Here's your supplements. Do this. You'll get skinnier and then boom, your problems go away. Physical transformation is way more mental and emotional than we think. And so the emotional connection to food stems all the way back from how we've programmed our brains from the way our parents have talked to us, teachers, coaches, friends, um, someone someone was bullied or teased, or maybe a traumatic experience happened. And we've dealt, we programmed our brains to deal with stress through maybe reaching for food or reaching for substances that aren't that healthy for us. But what those substances do, like food, for example, Dave, is it gives us a little dopamine hit. When we get a dopamine hit, guess what? The emotional pains of life kind of go away temporarily. And this is what happens in drug addicts, right? Or alcohol or whatever, whatever your vice is. Like there's I am familiar with what you're speaking world. about. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know you, I know you know this, but this is what I want to tie it into, like obesity or alcoholism or drug addiction. It's all the same. Every addiction is there to cover up some kind of pain. So some type of emotional pain that we're dealing with, and we we reach for a substance to temporarily numb that pain. It gives us that dopamine hit. We feel good for a minute. Those, Those feelings and emotions go away temporarily. We don't have to deal with them right now. But it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And so we get addicted to whatever the numbing mechanism is, whatever the substance is. And for people, food is probably the most accessible drug. Let's be honest. It's marketed to us. We can push a button on our phone that it shows up at the door. You know, it's everywhere. Everyone's eating it and it's not illegal. You can just go to the grocery store and have it multiple times per day, right? And so anytime the emotional pain comes back up of whatever you're dealing with, maybe you're not feeling loved. Maybe, like I said, you had a traumatic experience or you're bullied. We can temporarily numb that through these substances, And this is why obesity isn't just something as simple as like take this drug or take this pill and do this workout and eat less calories because you're, you're dealing with years or decades of programming of pain that this person hasn't really released yet. They've just been numbing it year after year, decade after decade. And to give someone a meal plan or an app or a workout and say, Hey, if you just do this, your, your life will be changed. It's not that simple. It's never that simple. It's so much more complex than we think. And this is where, The fitness industry, in my opinion, needs to change with the approach of empathy first, help people deal with their mental and emotional hurdles, do the inner work first so that the working out, the physical stuff becomes so much easier.
2: So I I could not agree more. In real time, I'm two days removed from Heidi and I having hosted the first of a mastermind out of this Get Fit community of ours. That's awesome. 16 and a half hours of time in a living room where every person got an opportunity to talk about whatever it was that was first celebration. Hey, what's the thing you want to celebrate? But also like, what's, what's your roadblock? What's your, what's the thing that's kind of in your way. And as much as we're doing this out of a fitness community, we didn't have a single conversation about physical fitness in the 16 and a half hours because Each of these people knew after eight weeks of, you know, us being inside of this community together, that so much of the work of a scale changing or body composition changing started with the emotional and mental work first. And so, man, I couldn't I couldn't be more on board with this. I am interested, though, because I think one of the things that we've seen inside this community is that education is power. There's a nutrition education thing where the end output is hoped for food freedom, how in the work that you're doing, are you approaching arming people with information or you know, teaching them to fish, as it were, as a, as a means to changing some of that historic relationship that they have with food and the way that it might have power over them?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. So I don't want to ever like, step on anyone's toes and replace what a psychologist or a therapist would do in these situations uh, I highly, highly recommend, you know, I think every human should have a therapist. I think 100%. we've all been hyper trauma, but, um, but what I try and do is help them do the inner work first from my perspective, things that have helped me, cause I've had to deal with my own demons and I've had to do my own inner work. Um, and so what I try and do is get them to focus on the inner work first and I'll go over what that is in a second so that the working out stuff, the physical stuff, like we've talked about edu- nutrition fitness exercises those kinds of things become so much easier once they understand why they do what they do what their emotional triggers are and how to deal with them so the inner work stuff that i try and do that try, that i try and help people from a physical fitness perspective uh, looks like this so there's a list of things that i have them do on top of eating healthy food and exercising which i think we all know that's what we need to do to be physically healthy but these are the tips and tricks that really help program their brain to start to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations because physical transformation, spiritual transformation, emotional transformation is going to require you to get some kind of uncomfortable in some way, shape or form to progress, to to move forward and get out of this rut that you're stuck in. So the list of things that I have them do have nothing to do with losing weight, burning calories, getting a six pack. It looks like this, making your bed, uh, taking a cold shower, which sucks really bad, but (laughs) it's It's, it's an opportunity to sit in an uncomfortable situation. And I usually have them do it for 60 seconds. Sit there for 60 seconds. Let it suck. Embrace the suck. Try and slow your heart rate down. Try not to, because when we react to cold, our fight or flight is activated. And so we want to tense up and like hyperventilate. And if I could get people to slow their heart rate down and talk to themselves and realize, hey, I'm not going to die. Y- yes, this sucks, but we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through this. And that's just one opportunity for them to train their brain to say, hey, that was uncomfortable, but I did it. Guess what? Now when it comes to eating broccoli instead of pizza, that's very uncomfortable. I can do that. The next thing looks like some type of meditation, which is very uncomfortable for a lot of people in the Western hemisphere that didn't grow up doing it. To sit there and be still with your thoughts is very uncomfortable. So that's another opportunity to train your brain to to get comfortable in an uncomfortable situation journaling, gratitude, three to five things every single day, rewires your brain to look for things to be grateful for. Uh, positive affirmations, three to five statements or words you want to say to yourself out loud, whether you're looking in a mirror or just saying those words. Words have power that affect you at the cellular level. And that's a part of that protocol as well. And um, those are just a few of the things that I have people do, which is, is focus on the inner work to deal with those emotional triggers. And what that stuff does is it does a couple things. One, it helps them become more present in the moment. And if you can become more present in the moment, then you become the observer of your thoughts. You're not just the reactor to your thoughts because so many times we go through life, we have thoughts and emotions that come up and then we react, right? Our kids are driving us crazy. We have finances that are driving us crazy. Our spouses are whatever it is. And then we react by reaching for the cake or the ice cream or the alcohol or the drug, whatever it is, right? And we just are on autopilot. Multiple times per day, where yep. we're just like not even thinking about it. We're not conscious about it, <laughs> and so what this does, it brings you to the present moment. And you're like, okay, here's what's happening. You're, obs- you're just observing. You're not judging. You're not reacting. You're just observing. You're like, okay, here comes those thoughts of me feeling like I'm I'm worthless or I'm less than or I'm a failure. Uh, these emotions that I'm feeling of feeling overwhelmed and and depressed and anxious are coming up. And you're not attaching yourself to your thoughts in the, in those moments. You're just present. You're just observing, like watching a movie play out. And in that moment, you have the power to control the way you react. You have the power to say, okay, I could choose this path of taking the substance and feeling better. Or now that I'm aware of it, I could be more in control of the situation. And my hope is that and in, in those moments, as we become more aware of it, we become more in control. And there's a really good quote by... Anthony DeMello, he says, what you are aware of, you're in control of, but what you're not aware of is in control of you. And so awareness is the key to overcome any addiction to emotional eating or whatever it is, is awareness. And so these types of things that I mentioned over here, doing the inner work, just help you become more self-aware. And if you could become more self-aware, you understand what your triggers are, you understand why you do what you do. And in those moments of like reaction, where we normally react, Now you have the power to control them better. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but this is a practice. This is something to learn and get better at, but that's kind of how it works.
2: I love it. You know, it's interesting in my own work around sobriety, being conscientious of the triggers is so much of the game, right? Like I, I, I saw alcohol as a symptom of the unprocessed emotion or mental thing that I hadn't necessarily tended to and was often connected to something that was happening on somewhat of a routine or regular basis that I could depend on. But I didn't have that self-awareness until I went on a mission to try and find it. And so uh, one, I love what you're saying about becoming the observer of thought. If you haven't read the untethered soul recommend it right here because it's very much this kind of idea. But also if you haven't read a book like power of habit or atomic habits Knowing when you tend to get triggered is such an important part of proactively thinking about how you might consciously change your reaction to the trigger, whether it's time of day or a preceding event or a certain person or an emotional state. There are things that tend to be predictive in when you get triggered. And if you know that that's when you get triggered, like for me, I now have a handle on when I've historically been triggered to want a drink. And now that I know those triggers, I can watch for them. Doesn't mean I still don't get triggered because yeah. I do because yeah. of life. But now because I'm <laughs> conscious of it, I know, oh, I have a choice. Observe the emotion and now make a better decision, a different decision than the one you might have historically made.
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Whether people are dealing with alcohol, whether they're dealing with food, it's, it's very similar but this is kind of what I'm trying to help people realize is we see people with food addiction or alcoholism or drug addiction and, and people that don't understand are like, dude, just don't don't drink the alcohol or just don't do the drugs or don't just don't eat the food. Like, what's wrong with you? We don't understand it. And that's where empathy really plays because or it comes into play because it, it helps us get curious, not judgmental, but curious. And there's another good book I'll throw out there that I read recently by Oprah. And I can't remember the doctor's name, but it's called What Happened to You? And it's a really good book of like, instead of asking what's wrong with you, we reframe that question and say, what happened to you that led you down this path to make you who you are today? Yeah. And I feel like yeah. if people are, are in a safe place to feel that they can express themselves and be vulnerable of what happened to them, then they're able to, I feel like, listen to advice or do the hard work. Uh, but if they feel like they're being judged by someone or feeling like they're going to be put uh, be put down by that person it's really hard to do what the society or friends or family want them to do to better their life because a lot of people feel misunderstood. They don't feel hurt and they don't feel safe yet. And so this is where empathy, I'm a big uh, fan of Brene Brown's work. I think empathy can change the world, but I also think it can change the fitness industry, which is an industry that's focused so much on body image and and those kinds of things. So that's my hope is that this kind of approach, the balance of, like you said, the tough love, but also empathy and self-love can can, you know, coincide and make some positive changes. It sounds like you and Heidi are doing that and a few people in the industry are doing that. Well,
2: I mean, there's a theme in everything we're talking about, this idea that transformation is way more internal than it is external. Obviously, mental health has become increasingly an important part of the like, broader lexicon of the world, but also it's super embedded in every single thing that you're teaching, that I think we're teaching. Are you willing to share a little bit of your own kind of journey with mental health?
3: Sure. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, start from, <laughs> I'll start from a little bit back after Fit to Fit to Fit. You know, after Fit to Fat to Fit happened, I, I was married at the time for 10 years, went through a really hard divorce in 2014, 2015 to my uh, wife of 10 years. Um, I know you know what that's like. And that was not easy because I, for me, I left my religion and left my marriage around the same time. And now talking about it, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that experience because it made me who I am today. And it helps me to become more self-aware to fix the problems that I had back in my marriage where I just... I wasn't aware of why I did what I did. I just did things, and I just reacted a certain way. And the way I programmed my brain had to do with you know the culture I grew up in, the religion I grew up in. Uh, never feeling like I was good enough, and feeling like I had to hide my weaknesses and ha- ha- hide my imperfections because in my religion it felt like there was a punishment if I wasn't perfect. And so, as, in order to like you know protect myself as a kid, I was like, well, I'm just gonna. Hide these things because if I tell the truth, I feel like there's a punishment and people are going to find out about me. So I'll just put on this thick skin, build up these walls, and suppress these feelings or emotions of like wanting to sin so that on the outside I look good. So I'm accepted by society because I felt like I needed to fill that void. And so that led to a lot of things like pornography addiction, it led to an, um, an affair, it led to betrayal and lies. And, um, you know, that's just the way I, I program my brain. and you know, for people listening to this, I'm an open book about this. Like I, I've done tons of podcasts about this, so I can talk about this openly, no problem, because I've dealt with the guilt and the shame of all this. And I, in order to move forward from this, I had to face that and realize what I did and why I did it. And then once I was able to figure that out, then I was like, Oh, okay, now I know better how to move throughout life. So it could be a better dad. So it could be a better spouse for my next relationship. Right. and, And because if not, then I stay in that victim mindset. I stay in that victim mindset of like, blame God, blame my parents, blame me, blame everyone, instead of taking accountability and um, taking control of my life. And so for me, that's kind of like where my my mental health journey started was admitting that I needed help, admitting that I was broken at the time. And learning how to, yeah, learning how to become the best version of myself for my kids and for this world in general, because I feel like, you know, I think Ram Dass said this, like, you know, the only thing I can do for you is to work on myself. Mm-hmm. And that's really all we can do for people. We can't fix people's problems for them. We can only work on ourselves. And so that's kind of like the first part of me transforming my life and like discovering who I really was, was around that time of 2015, 2016.
2: I will just and real quick to, interrupt to say, I, I, I sure. love that line. The only thing I can do to help you is to work on me. I, I do think though that a secondary thing, that I just want to acknowledge is that your willingness to share some of the vulnerability, like the vulnerability that's required to share some of what you're sharing also gives people permission to do their own inner work, to, to, to confront the things that they need to, and even potentially represent in a meeting or to a therapist, the things that they have been suppressing the masks they have been wearing. So I do think there's something of a, a beautiful knock on effect of becoming okay, owning all of who you are, including the parts that you don't necessarily love, because yeah. of it being the place that you have to start if you want to move forward and grow.
3: Amen. I think uh, Brene Brown who said, you know, if you don't own your story, your story will own you. Ooh. and I've—that's <laughs> so true. Like, if you learn to own your story, you get to rewrite the ending to your story. But if you let your story own you then your story is complete as it is. And so for me, I was like, I don't want this to be the definition of who I am as a man on this earth to be defined by my past. And so that's why doing the inner work for me is so important because for me, it, it required me to you know embrace vulnerability as a strength and own my story so that I could finally write the ending. I get to write the ending to my story now. And it's so scary to do that. It, it takes a lot of courage to go and step into the arena pretty much naked so everyone can see all of you and like be like okay this is who i am i'm ready to like step into the arena and be seen and be criticized um but until you do that you're stuck like shame owns you shame has so much power over you until you can finally open up and just and just uh be authentic and take the masks off and say this is who i am and um and and then you get to write the ending to your story and so for me that's kind of what uh, has, has motivated me to get out of that. So thanks for letting me share that, Dave. I appreciate no,
2: that. No, I mean, by the way, I mean, I I feel so close to you and so connected to you. And we've only spent yeah. time together on a couple of occasions. I mean, yeah, there's the text chains and whatever else. But I think sure. part of what accelerates the feeling of intimacy and in a friendship is a willingness to show all of who you are to the people that you decide to you know spend time with. And that's just, it's such a rad quality of yours. And it's part of why, I like, when I think about Well, what's my life going to look like 10, 15 years from now? Like, (laughs) I'm going to have a friend in Hawaii that I know when I'm in town, I can swing by and hang out, you know? So, like, I just think it's such a rad thing. And also, it runs countercultural to the way that we were programmed growing up as, like, what men do or how we're, you know, like, quote, unquote, supposed to be. And I'm so grateful for another person in my life that's modeling the way that I'd also hope to show up well and honest Because it also, I think, gives me permission to, in the privacy of my own house, be really, really honest with myself. So um, it's rad, man.
3: I appreciate that. Yeah.
2: So here's what uh, people may not know, which I think is just crazy, is that uh, after having gone through the Fit to Fat to Fit in 2011, you decided to do it again. (laughs) <laughs> what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what, like I climbed a, a mountain. I did this thing called Everesting and it was amazing. <laughs> and now that it's uh, uh, checked off the old list, uh, I don't ever need to do it again. Here you did your version of Everesting inside of this fitness world and uh, you decided to do it again.
3: What was the motivation behind the second time round? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, a few reasons. Well, first of all, 2020 happened. We all know how crazy of a year that was. It was very chaotic. It's very divisive for a lot of us and um, i felt called to do it again a second time because my message of empathy was something i had to learn the first time i was like okay i needed to learn that lesson and now that i've learned that lesson now i felt like doing it again a second time you know almost 10 years later would be an opportunity to really push forward this message of hey hey now more than ever we need more empathy not only in the fitness industry but the world because back in 2011 social media wasn't what it is today there was no like live streaming there's no insta stories there's no tiktok You know, there was not a lot of people saw it as it happened. They heard about it after the fact. So I felt like doing it again a second time in 2020 with all the technology that we had to really give people an insight of what really goes through, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, what, what this journey is all about. I felt like I had another opportunity to do it a second time the right way with more people able to see it to really spread the message of empathy. And then also, you know, I was turning 40. And so, you know, at the time when I did it in 2011, I was 30, 31, you know, younger, you know, faster metabolism, different hormones. Now, you know, when you're in your 40s, you know, things change. It can be harder for a lot of people. And so I wanted to give that age demographic of like 40 plus year olds some hope and say, yes, it can be harder, but hey, it's not impossible and we can do this together. And so that was what my hope was, 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 was doing it again a second time, But um, to be honest with you, Dave, like I went into this a little bit cocky thinking, I got this. I've done this before. Like, I know how to do this. And then once again, God, (laughs) the universe, like totally humbled me again. And it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And it once again, that led me down this path of being broken down and going through another rock bottom moment, you know, uh, shortly afterwards, uh, just this past year. And I'm like, man, this is so interesting, the parallels of like this physical fitness journey and the mental emotional journey that I've been on since then it's it, there's a lot of parallels between the, the physical the mental the emotional and the spiritual and once again learned so many valuable lessons the second time around uh, and just to put it out there there will not be a third time just so <laughs> <before>. <laughs> I'm sure people are wondering you're good so, yeah you're I'm, good. Good. <laughs> I'm good well I uh, think- this one this one broke me
2: yeah. It's so interesting because I do think uh, if it weren't for God knowing or the universe knowing that we'd come out the other side so much stronger and better, we wouldn't be handed the adversity that ultimately shows up in our life. And certainly because I you know, know a, a variety of things about your life on the personal side, man, you've yeah. been handed some harder things. And you also continue to emerge stronger and in deeper understanding of yourself. And I think better equipped to serve people because of the way that you've been, you know, able to just keep kind of trudging through whatever it is that's been thrown your way. So I just, I'm, uh, I never want to see my friends go through anything hard. And yet I wouldn't, change the hard that I've been through. And frankly, I'm not sure that I changed the hard that you've been through because you just keep getting better because of it. It's true. And
3: I think that's a good lesson for life is that doing hard things is part of growth. And we've built this life of comfort, right? So it's this life is so full of comforts. And to get uncomfortable, you kind of have to go out of your way, right? Like we have a pill for every like Headache or stomach ache, or like you're hungry, you have food instantly. You're you're hot, you got air conditioning. You're cold, you have a heater. You got warm, soft towels and clothes and stuff like that. And so, to get uncomfortable is you kind of have to go out of your way. But that's where the growth is. And so, my hope is that we as humans will be able to realize at some point, like, hey, this this comfort crisis we're in is really and is really not good for us. Um, it's it's not. It's keeping us from growing. I'm not saying you need to go out there and just like, you know, try and kill yourself, but like, like, or do like super hard things like climb Mount Everest or run hundred miles, but getting out of our comfort zone is so essential for, for growth. And so don't be afraid to do the hard things to get out of your comfort zone and try something new. Um, you know, whether it's a workout or whether it's a, a new diet or whether it's transforming your body or, or, um, whatever it is, it could look a, a, in a lot of different ways, anything that makes you uncomfortable, that might be a good thing for you to look into to to grow because if you do it intentionally and you're consciously, you're consciously, you know, uncomfortable, I feel like then when life gives you the, the hard situations, you're like, okay, this is hard, but I can do this. I can do hard things. You start to believe in yourself that you can do these hard things no matter what life throws at you. And I feel like that's kind of a different way to approach it instead of just saying, well, I'm going to live in this comfort zone and hopefully nothing bad happens. And when it does happen, then it's like the world's ending, right? Yep. But your brain isn't, you're mentally not prepared for that. And so that's kind of my hope and in my, in my mentality because what the hard stuff we've been through, Dave, has made is that. And so we are can appreciate those hard times, even though they suck. But we have to know that, that life is happening for us, not to us. Yep. And if we can see it as, oh, okay, God's giving me this right now, okay, well, this sucks, but I'm sure there's something to learn or there's some opportunity for growth here.
2: It is an interesting paradox because as much as we've talked about how important the emotional and mental pieces are in processing and dealing with those to unlock some of the physical transformation that you're interested in, I also know that I have been the beneficiary many times of putting myself into a physical challenge that in conquering that thing that went beyond what I believed myself to have a capacity for – it fundamentally changed the way I thought myself capable of handling something mentally or emotionally when it showed up in my life. Whether it was training for my first marathon or climbing that stinking mountain or whatever it ended up being, I finished and was like, oh man, I could do hard things. And then hard things showed up and just like that that knowledge, the knowing you can't unknow, it was like, well, this is going to suck. But you know what? I've done things that suck before. I'm sure I'm going to make it through. There's just a difference in whether it's confidence or knowing that um, I do think there's almost like a circular nature to the equation. And I'd encourage anyone, if you want to think differently about how to handle and be, you know, kind of tenacious and persevere through whatever gets thrown your way, think about pushing yourself to train for something that goes beyond what you believe to be cap- yourself to be capable of and see the way that it bleeds into what you think about yourself and adversity on the other side of accomplishing that goal.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing to take away is from this conversation about this topic is it can look different for each person. Like, you know, For you and I, Dave, it might be uh, you know a, a body transformation, like losing fat, like working hard in the gym or something like that. For other people, it could look totally different. It could be maybe you want to fast for two days, maybe go two days fasting and see how hard that is and see how uncomfortable that is, or whatever it is. It could look totally different. It doesn't have to be one thing. There's a lot of ways you can get out of your comfort zone and do hard things that will help train you for for life, right? Because that's kind of, we all know it's guaranteed that hard things are going to happen. <laughs> no matter how much you try and escape them, there's going to be hard times. And so I like working out because it's a daily thing that I can do that trains my brain and my mind for, for dealing with hard things. And um, yeah, there's great benefits to it, for yeah. sure. But for someone else, it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be like get a six pack and get ripped and shredded in order to be happy, um, it could look different for each person. All
2: right, so. your you're voice on keto, I know nothing about it. So I'm curious, <laughs> like at the highest level, can you sure. educate someone who knows very little, but appreciates that uh, as I approach the uh, stage that I'm working my way toward for my first bodybuilding competition, at the end of October, I've been told there's a possibility that keto could be a part of the end of my journey. What is this thing yeah. that they speak of?
3: Okay, so first let me first and foremost, let me just say this. Keto is a is one tool in a tool belt where you should have many tools. So I'm not saying that keto is this end-all be-all thing, but let's back up a little bit. From a pure, you know, uh, historical perspective, ketosis has been around since the beginning of time. As, as a human species, we were designed to run off two different types of fuels. One is glucose from carbohydrates, and then ketones is our body's backup system when we run out of food so that we didn't die the next day, right? So we can go weeks. Some people can go months. Um, The Guinness Book of World Record for a number of consecutive days fasting with no food is 382 days, I believe. Whoa. And you you can Google that. It was a 460-pound man. He had a lot of fat to live off of. But basically, in ketosis, in a state of ketosis, our body takes stored body fat, Converse that into ketones, which become the alternative fuel source for our brain, muscles, organs, nervous system to be able to function. And so basically that's what ketosis is in a nutshell, but there's two ways to get into ketosis. One is to starve yourself. So just stop eating, Dave, and then you'll be in ketosis, (laughs) which, you know, that's the way (laughs) our bodies were designed. Or you could eat a ketogenic diet, which is high fat, moderate protein, low carb approach, and it puts you into a state of ketosis where your body has no glucose now and your body needs to find an alternative fuel source. And as a human, your body is going to start producing ketones. And so it's a it's a way to become a fat burner instead of a sugar burner. You're just switching fuel sources. And that's what ketosis is high level in a nutshell.
2: Man, you made it actually make sense in like 35 seconds. I love that. <laughs> All right. I, I, I am in. Uh, I, I, I want to, you know, like in advance of the next challenge, thank you for, uh, popping in as you have, uh, you have been a, a staple in the challenges that we've done before, but community yes. has been this thing that, you know, certainly after pandemic came and interrupted, what was everybody's attempt for, or opportunity to have community. I don't know that we, uh, appreciated how much we need it until it was gone, but yeah. when it comes to fitness, when it comes to health, Can you talk a little bit about how the power of community has been an important factor in success?
3: When I help people transform or, you know, go on a journey to lose weight, the biggest thing that I found that helps people maintain that healthy lifestyle is some type of a community, right? Sure, there are a few people, outliers out there that can push themselves, discipline themselves day in and day out to meal prep and work out by themselves and lose the weight. I would say most people need some type of uh, community, which provides a couple of things. One, a support system two, accountability, because yeah. we all need accountability. We need that sense of community to feel like we're a part of something, whether it's an online community, like a Facebook group, whether it's like a mastermind, like you guys do in person sometimes, or whether it's your friends or your family or doing challenges, like work challenges. I'm all on board with that because it helps to provide a sense of community for the, for people that need to be accountable to someone. And let's be honest, like as humans, like we need that, that sense of community and to be accountable to someone to really make some progress or change. And that goes for physical transformation, spiritual transformation, right? I think you're part of AA during your process of being part of uh, this community of other people going through the same struggle. Yeah, There's power, there's power in that.
2: For sure. 100% makes you feel normal helps keep you accountable. And on the days when you trip or fall, you know, in this fitness game that we're in, you know, there is no perfect attendance. There is no perfect set or rep and having a community that also helps encourage you to jump back up. If you fall off is uh, as important as anything else. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to land this plane, wrap us up here pretty quick. But uh, I think a thing that we have in common I mean, one, you're devastatingly handsome and I'm not. So that's off the table. You know, (laughs) Derek Zoolander called. He wants his look back. (laughs) But uh, uh, we're both on a journey to seek some self-love. I think everybody who's listening in some respects is on a journey to seek self-love, to love ourselves as we are, while also pushing ourselves to reach for a a better version of ourselves, whether it's uh, 1% at a time, one day at a time, whatever it might be. Um, What kind of advice might you give for any of the beautiful souls that are listening for how to approach loving themselves better?
3: That's a really good question. Here's the thing, Dave, and I know you know this, there's people that love us unconditionally and they will always tell us that we're lovable. But for some reason, we have a hard time convincing ourselves of that. So my hope and my wish is every single person listening to this, including you, Dave, is that you are worthy of love. You are worthy of love. And, when we seek for love from other people, that, that will come and go, right? There are people that will love us. There will be people that will hate us, right? You, at the end of the day, need to learn how to love yourself in order to make that change. People could tell you all the time, you're beautiful, you're amazing, we love you. Until you believe it, nothing is really going to happen. So my hope is that everyone listening is that you know that you are worthy of that type of love. And it's okay to love yourself. It's not selfish once you learn how to love yourself, all your other relationships will change. If you want to be a better dad, a better mom, a better spouse, learn to love yourself first. Because once that relationship with yourself is fixed, all your other relationships will improve. And I promise you. And so that would, that would be my hope is that everyone knows that they are worthy of that.
2: Let's go. I agree. I yeah. second this motion. <laughs> uh, the last question that I ask on each of these episodes, if there was a single piece of advice, a quote, uh, action that someone could take that might afford them an opportunity for some more peace, a breakthrough of some kind, you know, what is it that you think the listener out there needs to hear most today that might
3: give them, uh, that shot in the arm? The thing that's coming up for me right now is that life is too short to be at war with your body. And, uh, this goes for anyone out there that struggles with body image or weight issues is that life is too short to be at war with your body. If you can make peace with your body and learn to love your body as it is, it doesn't mean you don't want to progress or change it. I'm totally fine with that, but learning to love yourself as you are and make peace with your body to be on your side, to be on your team, um, I think will make a huge difference. in if you're, if you're going through a physical transformation, so that, that's the thing that came up for me that hopefully will love yeah, that. Oh,
2: regard. that's a good word. Yeah. That is a good word. All right. If any of our listeners are not already following you, are not familiar with the books that you've written or the kind of courses that you offer, where do you send new friends from the interwebs to find your work and get uh, a little bit closer to what you do?
3: Yeah, it's super simple. It's all the same, it's very consistent. So fit to fat to fit with the number two in between. So fit number two, fat number two. FIT. That's all my social media handles and website and book and podcast and stuff. So
2: Amazing. I I cannot recommend enough that you find your way to following Drew, that you jump onto his site and take a look at every single thing that he offers, Uh, separate from being an expert in his field, separate from having gone through this work to gain the weight, to lose the weight, to create the empathy, to know how to serve an audience well. He's just an unbelievably extraordinary man. And I would trust him in um, your care any time of the day, twice on Sundays. Uh, I appreciate you, my friend. You are a good dude. And uh, you're doing some really, really great work. So thank you for being here on the show this week. I love you, bud. Much love. See you guys. All All right. right, We will see you you on the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor. Do Drew a favor. Take a picture of the device that you are using and uh, put it up on the internet. Tag Drew at fit 2 fat to fit Tag me at Mr. Dave Hollis. Tell every single human you've ever met in your entire life what you took out of this episode in the hopes that they also will get something from it between now and next week. Make peace with your body. We'll see you then. Take care. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media. I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular. If you head over to MrDaveHollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm going to be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think. uh, And I'd love to be able to do that on the reg so if you uh, are so inclined hit mrdavehollis.com drop in your email and buckle on up i love y'all thank you for all the continued support let's go